Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm the person responsible for this mess, Al Warren. (laughs) (laughs) Now, today, co hosting from the East Coast, uh, we have um, David North Martino. Hey, Al, good to be here. Yeah, wax on, wax off. Wax off. That's right. <laughs> what a karate man. Um, okay, um, another full day coming up. And so now today uh, we're kind of doing fantasy, sci-fi, mystery, fiction. We've, we've kind of got it all. It's all going on. Absolutely. So, yeah, so we've got a writer. Um, it's Yeah, he's, he's, he, and his name is Richard Polinelli. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It's, uh, it sounds like we're going to have a lot of fun. Well, we'll see if you say that at the end. Because <laughs> <laughs> it might not. You know, yeah. we, we try to have a good time. It's good to make people smile, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Um, so now, let's, let's just find out about Richard a little bit. So, Richard, um, where did writing come from for you? You know, it, it seems to be something that... It, I always did, even when I was a kid. Um, I, I tell the story when people ask. My my dad's drilling business, we were all over the western United States. So a majority of my time was spent in the backseat of a car going to wherever the next uh, location was. 
And, you know, when you've got one or two day drives in the backseat of the car, you got to come up with stuff to do. So I always had a notebook and I was always writing these little stories. Um, and it just kind of, it kind of grew from that to where I decided one day while working on the drilling rig when I, I got actually knocked off the mast and uh, on the way down decided I, it was time to get serious about my writing career. And, and get away from this before it killed me. So I, I got into freelance writing at that point, and it's just kind of ever since that day in 1983, it's just the next step always seems to present itself in my writing career, and I've just kind of gone from freelance to working for newspapers to you know now at this stage of my life I'm writing novels. Hmm. Sort of like my life, but my dad kept me in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there were times when I think my dad was ready to put me in the trunk, but you know, yeah, yeah. I just stepped in the trunk. It was fine. It was just I couldn't I couldn't see to write. So, yeah, uh, see, that would be the problem. Yeah, but we, so okay, so uh, you kind of had this writing ability in a little bit, and you're and you're younger and stuff. But what was the what was the point, or what was the thing that turned you? How do I say this? There's a certain amount of confidence that comes when you actually are going to try and publish something you write. And that's not easy to come by. So what is it that, um, you know, give you confidence to, to actually think, oh, okay, I can sell this? You know, oddly enough, it was a rejection letter I got, and it was a very not nicely worded rejection letter at that, <laughs> but it, it gave me the motivation. It was the it was the kind of the kick in the butt, if you will. Uh, the the I had written a short story, I submitted it. The rejection letter basically said I had committed a great offense against the English language and should never write another thing again. And for someone like me, that is like just waving the red flag at a at a bull because that's just going to motivate me. And that was when I knew I could do this. No matter what the naysayer, no matter what this editor says, I I can do this. And it was probably a good five years where I had that letter pinned above my desk. And at the time, I was using a typewriter and gradually eventually got to a computer. But that letter stayed up there. And every day, that's how I started my day, was reading that and, and deciding all over again I was going to prove that one person wrong. And so it just, I knew I could do it, and that was the thing that was going to make sure that I was going to see it through. And I think it was when, uh, as far as being completely confident that I could do this, it was when I got hired to, uh, to work as a sports writer for the uh, Independent in New Mexico. Because uh, that, that, that told me that, yeah, other people see what I do, and they know I can, I can write. Um, you know, so that was when the letter came down, when I got that job. You know, did you hunt him down and kill him? <laughs> uh, no, you know, it's, it's funny because a few years later, um, that person's name came up in a conversation, and it, it triggered the memory of, hey, hey, that's the that's the person who wrote that letter. And I wasn't as irritated or as upset about it as I was back then. I mean, I, I, I remember the day I first got it, first read that letter, and, you know, steam coming out of the ears, lava flowing everywhere. <laughs> but by the time, you know, I got that reminder, it was like, in a way, that, that person I should be thanking. 
because they kind of gave me the motivation I needed to do it. And it's, it's kind of a strange way to get motivation, but I think I, I tell a lot of writers who are new, it's like you're going to get the rejection letters, and some of them aren't going to be nice. Yeah. And I see so many people get a rejection letter and they quit. Don't, don't do that. Don't take that that way. Take it as your, your, your motivation, your, your goal is to say, no, I can do this no matter what this letter says and, and keep doing it. So I, I by, the, you know, by the time that person's name came back up again, I was, I was more grateful than angry at them. And unfortunately, they had passed, so I didn't get a chance to tell them, hey, thank you for that, that kick in the butt I needed. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so that, that goes on to nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much social media out there, and there's, you're, you're exposed to, to everybody. And, yeah. and so that, that leaves it open to all sorts of reviews or all sorts of opinions can come out and – and they're not always real nice. Uh, no. what, what's your opinion on that? Like, how do you deal with um, reviews, good or bad, or do you even look at them, or are they important? Yeah, you know, they, they, they are in a way, but you don't want to spend every hour of every day going back and, and looking at your reviews. Um, and one thing, one measurement I use is three stars or higher, that's a good review. Even, you know, if, if you, everybody wants to get all fives, you know, dream on. That's not going to happen. But if you get three stars or four stars or five stars, that's great. That means they liked it. Uh, the, the three stars liked it. The four stars really liked it. And the five stars loved it. So all three of those categories, those are great reviews to get. The two stars I pay more attention to than the one stars, only because the two stars, it's usually – there was just something that they that didn't connect with the reader, and if you read it, read the review, you can kind of glean where they're coming from, and and every once in a while you'll find a nugget that you can use for your next project. You can remember, hey, you know, I did that, and this was the reaction it got, and I can see where it got that reaction. So let me do this a little different this time, and and it helps to improve your writing. The one stars mostly I found are people who you have posted something on your social media account somewhere has absolutely nothing to do with the book, but by golly they're going to teach you a lesson for for posting that vile evil thing you posted, and and they'll go and they'll leave a one star review on the book. I'd say about ninety nine point nine percent of your one star reviews you just ignore. Every once in a while you get one where someone just didn't like the book, it's going to happen. Um, I I wish Goodreads was better at policing some of these one stars because some people go on, yeah, I I never read this book. I have no idea what it's about, but I hate the author's gut, so here's a one star. <laughs> That's not a legitimate review in, in my mind at all. Um, and I wish Goodreads would do a little bit better job of, of policing that. Amazon, at least, you have to have bought, I think, 50 bucks worth of uh, of merchandise before they'll let you review so it, at least you've got skin in the game and they will indicate whether the person has actually bought the book or not you'll see verified purchase or you won't and that, that kind of gives other people who are coming along and read those reviews a little bit of a guide they can say okay that person didn't buy the book they may or may not have read the book i'm going to go look at these verified purchase reviews and base my judgment on whether or not i'm going to buy this book based on those so, you know, the reviews are good. 
they have some downsides, and you again, you have to kind of balance it out and not put too much stock in the good ones and don't put too much stock in the bad ones. Um, and, and just keep that balance, and, and I think that's the best approach for any writer. Absolutely. Do you find that uh, your sports writing career with uh, deadlines and such has made you a more efficient storyteller and writer? In, in a way, because uh, I'm, I'm a co-host on a show called The Writer's Block. And one of the questions we ask writers is how you know how do you deal with writer's block? I was first on that show as a guest, and they they hit me with that question. And my response was, I never have had writer's block because of the the newspaper days. You couldn't have a day where you showed up at work mm. and you couldn't write because you were expected to generate you know two to three stories, um, one to three thousand words every day. So you couldn't sit there and go, you know. Uh, boss, I just I I can't think of anything to type. I'm I'm done. You would be replaced by somebody who can come in and get the job done. So that that has helped um, in setting deadlines, meeting deadlines, and not getting bogged down in things, and actually sitting down and producing. Hmm. But isn't there a difference in the writing? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's uh, it's a completely different approach. When you're when you're sitting down to report on, and not just for sports, even hardness, because you're you're there to tell the reader what happened, who it happened to, why it happened, where it happened, when it happened, and you know what the aftermath or, or what's what's going to happen coming uh, out of this going forward. Uh, and it's the same with sports. You're you're just basically telling them you know, who won the game, what were some of the key highlights, some of the key stats. Uh, some reaction from some of the coaches and players. So you're, you have to gather the information and accurately report it in your story. With fiction writing, you don't. You, you get to, within certain limits, you get to do whatever you want because you said so in the story. Um, in science fiction, we call that hand wavium. I can say uh, the ship went from the Milky Way galaxy to the Andromeda galaxy in a week. And people are like, well, that's, that's impossible. Physics says that doesn't work. Well, we're, we're in fiction. So because I say it can, it did. <laughs> so you've got, that, you've got a lot more freedom with fiction writing than you would with, with the newspaper reporting or like I did with my two nonfiction sports books. Um, with those, that was, a, that was another a different approach, even from the news writing and from the fiction writing, because you're going back in the past and gathering up the information and trying to put it in such a way that the reader will be uh, entertained and informed and want to keep reading all the way through. So it's those, there's all these different approaches you have to bring depending on what your, what your goal is, what you're writing. You know, that's interesting. Um, do you ever find that um, when you were writing for a paper, you kind of had formula phrases? We, we actually had some phrases that were no-nos that you couldn't use because they were too cliche. You, you didn't want to get stuck in that 1920 sports writer, um, you know, speak. So um, I never did. I don't know about – I can't really speak for other sports writers, but I always tried to come at it, each game or each story assignment, with me as blank a canvas as I could be and just – you know, observe what's happening and record or start talking with the subject of the interview and kind of let the interview 
lead us where we're going. Um, very rarely did I go into an interview with, I'm going to, we're going to talk about this and get this from this person, uh, mostly because most of the, the non-game stories were features, and, and you want to kind of get to know the, the subject a little bit. Uh, I did one on a, a basketball player for a local college, and in the course of the interview, you found out she was a firefighter for the state um, forestry. And so that completely changed where the interview went, completely, probably completely changed how the story was going to go because I, I kind of focused on she fights fires during the day, but on the basketball court, she's, she's ice. So was the, I remember the title of the story was Fire and Ice. So I found by doing that, by not going in with any preconceived notions of what I wanted to do, I wound up getting better material to work with and, and wrote better stories. Now, you've also you've written a lot of short fiction. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that, did you feel like you're more of a natural short story writer or more of a natural novelist? Do you have one that you like better? You know, I, I got into the short story. I did this backwards. You're supposed to start writing short stories and then move up to novels. And I went in, I started with novels and then took about a two-year break in novel writing. And, and just it just seemed like every time I turned around, somebody had an anthology they wanted me to submit to. Um, it's it's it was fun to write them because you can you can kind of get into everything quicker, uh, whereas with a novel you're you're expected to kind of stretch it out a little bit and fill fill in some information. With the short stories, you're you're in there, you're getting everything done, and you're you're finished in ten thousand words or less. Hmm. So, I enjoyed it for the for the two year break I took where I did nothing but short stories, but I I. I kind of prefer novel writing because I can really build these these intricate worlds with these uh, 3D characters and not have to rush it. Now, now for myself, I've, I've written, a, I think, uh, 20 nonfiction books. Um, so I know my characters um, by meeting them and interviewing them and reading, uh, you know, articles and, and talking to people. Um, so I kind of don't get to choose where things are going to go, and I don't get to choose how the character develops. They are who they are. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just writing about them. When you do your books, uh, being fiction, you have characters that you've created. So uh, first, where do you get those characters from, and how is it you know where they're going to do and how they're going to behave? You know, it's <clears throat> it's it's odd. Um, I I kind of create the general character with the with the general plot when I start, and I'd probably say nine times out of ten, the character starts developing without me really thinking about how they're going to develop. Uh, the best example I have of it is a, a series I'm writing with my grandson called The Timeless, and it was supposed to be the main character which was uh, uh, it, it's a deep space pirate named Rock Congo. He's the captain of the Timeless, and he's pursuing a interstellar thief named Duchess Moran. Those were supposed to be the two main characters. Those were the two main characters I sat down to write. They aren't the main characters. The main characters become the first mate of the, the Timeless, Little John Singapore, and he took over the, the, the story and the series so much that I catch myself for the week after I get done writing the next installment, 
typing and, and talking like this guy. Um, he, he, he doesn't say my, my watch, it's me watch. He's got that, that very pirate type accent and lingo going. And I catch myself falling back into his way of talking because he has taken over the series so much. It's, it's the stories are being told from his point of view as he's relating them to a journalist who's visiting him as he's sitting on death row uh, on a, a planet, a prison planet. So it's, and it's kind of like that with most of my characters. I have the general outline at the beginning. And as the story progresses, I kind of discover more about them and, and then put that into the story as it goes. So it's, it, it's a little different process for me. I don't think everybody writes that way. I think I'll, I've seen a lot of people, they have these detailed notes on the character, the detailed notes on the, on the world they're in. And I just kind of start with the basics, and then we, we see where we go. So a lot of the writers I've interviewed have relationships. Like they oh, consider yeah. them their kids, their family, and all that stuff. And then, you know, David here, he hears voices, so they talk Absolutely. to them. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, so I get all this stuff, and I'm thinking, wow, I thought I wrote weird stuff. But <laughs> No, no, I mean, I, that's, that's most writers. I think the, the thing about authors is that what, what we're basically doing is we're having conversations with non-existent people, and we're writing down what they tell us. That's what yeah. you're reading, basically. I mean, that's when we dip into those worlds and we start seeing what's going on, it's all in our head, but to us, it's actually real. And and what we're putting down on, on paper is what we are seeing of that world. Wow. I, I, it just, um, I still don't get it, but... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've got, a, I've got a book called Reservations, and there's a character that gets killed off. And when I got to the point to writing that, I still hadn't decided if it was this character was going to die or not. And it took me a 16-hour writing session, arguing back and forth with myself over whether to do it, whether not to do it, whether to do it, whether not to do it. And, I mean, it took, it took that long. Normally, it doesn't take me that long to write. Uh, an 18-page chapter, but it was because it was it was difficult to let that. You know, am I going to let this character go? Am I going to keep this character? How does that change where I want the main character to to go? And so I swear I had all these characters in the story giving me the yeah you should no you shouldn't and all the reasons why. You know it's see, just it's what we do. See Rich, Richard hears voices too. Yeah, I'm not the only I, every one. every I, every author does, and if they say they don't, they're fibbing. Well, I don't. Well, then okay, you're fibbing. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm writing two stories, so I'm not I'm not. Uh, okay, cre- you will you will eventually at some point, Alan. If you will hear the voices too, so. Well, my voices are not very nice. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so you know we're not going to talk about them, uh, but it's not very pretty. Um, so, so in in essence, you're kind of like a Daniel Day Lewis of of writers. You 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 actually become the, a character in a sense. I think you do. I th- I think that's that's how you know you've got an author who can write good characters. If if they can if they can get into the characters. I mean, if if an author doesn't get into the character that much, they they aren't going to get that character on the page enough for the reader to care. I mean. 
going back to that one example, um, when I sent the manuscript off to my, my beta reader, I got this, when they got to that point, I got this email chewing me out for what I'd done as if I had just murdered their own, you know, their own family member. <laughs> that was the emotional reaction they got from just reading this fictional character's demise. And that's when I knew I had, I had written that chapter correctly. I, the character had made a connection with the reader, and that's what you need. You need the not only for the reader to connect with the story, but they've got to connect with the characters in the story so that they buy into it enough to care to keep reading to the end and, and to find out what's going on. And those are the best stories are the ones where you connect with that character. But when you are – now, this might be wrong, but the way I see it is then if you're kind of Daniel Day-Lewis and you're, you're – per- being inside the character um, mm-hmm. and writing, you're also putting yourself into it. You, you know, part mm-hmm. of who you are and how you yeah. feel is going into this. So this also creates um, a little bit of vulnerability. Like you are exposing some of yourself that you wouldn't normally do just walking down the street and you pass someone and say hi. So this is not something as light as that. So when that happens... How do you know, well, not so much how do you know, but where's the line that you feel comfortable with? As far as how much I put into you? Yeah, how much of you kind of goes into the character? And when you put that yourself in there, doesn't that make you feel a little uncomfortable? Like when you put it out there in the world so everybody can read it, they're also reading about some of you. Yeah. You know, I because the, I probably because the reader doesn't know which parts – of me are in which character. I'm probably not so concerned about that. Um, but I, I know I put, I put a little bit of me in every character, even the bad guys. So you're, you're kind of tapping into your, your, your darker side, the, the things that you might have done in the past or things that you thought about doing in the past and didn't. But you draw, by drawing on that, though, I think it helps build the character um, because people don't want 2D characters. They, they want, you know, you, you don't want a bad guy who's bad just because he's the bad guy and you need him to be bad. You need to get in there and kind of give him his motivation for why he's doing that. Um, and, and it can't just be because he's evil. I mean, yeah, there's probably people out there who are just evil because they are. But the, the more in-depth you can make even your villains, the better. And sometimes, you know, you, you kind of find, you, you go inside and you go, okay, now if I were a different person, I would have done this. And, and you kind of tap on that and, and put it into that character and just kind of see where it goes. But as far as being concerned that people, you know, I, I would hope that they would see somebody going around shooting everybody and not think that's what I do when I'm not on, on a radio show or behind my typewriter. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't worry about what, what I might be exposing. Well, maybe not uh, shooting people, but you probably got yeah. bodies in your freezer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, but when we get into your books, now you, you tend to swing into science fiction a lot and fantasy. Mm-hmm. How do you describe what that is? As far as what what science fiction is? Yeah, like when you say science fiction and fantasy, how so if someone oh, okay. had never really got into that category before and you say, well, I'm a 
fantasy well, that, sci-fi. What is that? that's still a huge that's still a huge debate because people are still arguing whether or not Star Wars is science fiction or science fantasy. So <laughs> <laughs> basically, you know, for me, science fiction, you know, it doesn't have to involve space flight. It doesn't even have to involve you know another planet. You can have science fiction that's based here on Earth. Um, I, I one of my short stories is the Last Human, and nobody leaves the planet, but it's science fiction because it involves um, uh, an org- organisms that come in and get into the water supply and basically change the human race. But the question in the story is: is the change for the better, or should should we remain the way we were before they arrived? And as it turns out, there is one scientist who has in her power the ability to undo the change. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. But now, but she has to figure out is should she 
should she change everything back or should she leave it alone? And she's, you know, she kind of has to grapple through uh, some encounters and, and, and kind of see what's actually going on before she makes a decision. That's science fiction, even though it has no spaceships, no nothing. So, you know, sci-fi fantasy could be anything. And that's what makes it, to me, so appealing is that I could write a story and easily fit it into that umbrella without having to be a purist about it and say, no, you have to, you know, like space opera. My latest book is, is technically space opera. With space opera, you have to have spaceships, you have to have space battles, you have to have um, you know, you know, empires rising and evil empires and all that. So there's, there's, you know, there's genres within the sci-fi fantasy realm uh, that, that things fit into. But overall, I think science fiction can just be uh, what, what we think going forward uh, the human race is going to be facing. And I think that's, a, that's the basic explanation I can come up with. So you're responsible for all the conspiracy theories out there then? <laughs> I don't. Um, <clears throat> they make for great stories yeah. that you can build off of. Um, in fact, the, the one that I used was the ancient alien theory that, you know, we're all descended from another species from off the planet somewhere. And I kind of took that and, and turned it into a novel and wow. made it believable enough that people are like, are you, are, is this science fiction or is this you with a, a theory of your own? And I'm like, I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's up for you to decide. Is this just a story or is this what really happened? So, yeah, yeah. You, you need your own series and you can, yep. you know, get this going. <laughs> I just, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, what 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 is your favorite part of writing a sci-fi? Probably creating a new universe. Uh, you know, not not the actual physical universe, but by 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 that I mean um, with Galen's Way that, it, that we just came out with. It's set in the Andromeda Galaxy, so we have no clue what's out there at all. So I can take this, it's again back to the blank canvas thing. I can take this blank canvas and fill it in however I want and, and create these worlds and these people and this conflict that they're, they're facing um, and, and come up with some new concepts um, that we don't have currently and kind of mix them in and just kind of see where it goes. So it's, it's the ability to say, what if ask that question, and then I get to write the answer. So, you know, what if we all wound up moving from Milky Way to Andromeda? Okay, Galen's way. This is what happens. And so I get to, I get to pose the question and then create the answer, and nobody can come along and fact-check me. I know with um, science fiction, not all science fiction uh, deals with technology, but I was just no. wondering with the fast pace of technology with, with some of whether your stories or uh, novels, do you, do you find it more difficult with the fast pace of technology today in creating stories? Yeah, because I've got one story that's outdated, and I only wrote it like five years ago. Mm. The, the technology went past what I thought it was going to do faster than I thought it was going to do, and it's like, okay, never mind. <laughs> <You> know, <it's, laughs> <laughs> we'll just throw that one in the bin. Um, it, it, 
in a way it does, but I think the fact that it's moving so fast, I think a lot of us can build on that and say, mm -hmm. okay, we're, we've come, look how far we've come in just the last 10, 15 years. Um, you know, what, what, where are we going to be in 20 years, 40 years, 100 years? And, and just come up with whatever you want. And if you can even loosely tie it back to what we're doing going through now, it'll make enough sense that you can make a story out of it. And, and who knows, it could be some of us of the next Jules Verne. You know, he was writing about stuff that, that was impossible in his day, and we take it as commonplace. Yeah. Mm. So did you involve or do you involve anything that's going on currently? Or do you stay away from that? Um, very loosely. I don't really do specific, uh, you know, picking a specific point and saying, okay, this, we're going to build from here. I mean, I, I do very general. Um, you know, I've got one story where they're on Mars and they decide to go and, and start collecting some of the old rovers that are up there. And unfortunately, they've landed a rover right in the spot where there shouldn't be a rover in my story. So, I'm, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, but no, I mean, I, I take, if I do, it's very general. I, I don't want to get specific, um, only because that, that does kind of handcuff you a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and plus, you don't know how it's going to turn out, like if you were, to, you know, bringing in viruses or anything like that. Right. Um, and so when someone picks up your book, any of your books, um, and they take it home and read it, um, at the end of it, is there something you want them to get besides the story? Is there a subtext or a, a theme? Not really. Um, I know. I know a lot of uh, writers do that. They they try to put a message in, and I'm not a fan of message fiction. I just you know my my approach is I want to be entertained. I want to get away from what's going on in the world for a couple hours, or in a case of a book, a couple of days, and I just want to escape into a completely different world where the troubles I'm dealing with don't exist. Give me, give me that island of peace and calm that I can kind of slip into for a little while. Um, th those are the kind of stories I enjoy, and that's the kind of stories I write. And I know a lot of a lot of authors are doing that, where they they want to they want to kind of put in some type of a, a message that pertains to something that's going on today. And if that's what they like to write, and if there's people who like to read that, then that is perfectly fine. But for me, that's just not what I do. Well, where do you get your inspiration from? Like, what's what's kind of uh, feeds your 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 fire as far as uh, the writing you do? Yeah, sometimes it's just getting the idea, the initial idea for a story, and and kind of developing it over time until you know I kind of get to a, a almost a critical mass point, and it's like, okay, I, now it's time. Let's let's sit down and write this. And the best example of that is Escaping Infinity. Uh, that actually started years before it got published. When I was, I was listening to Hotel California, I was thinking, you know, that'd make a pretty neat book if anybody sat down and wrote it, which, which then led to the thought, well, okay, you know, what, how are you going to write this? Why would, why would this person be stuck in this hotel? What's going on? You know, is it the hotel that's keeping him? Is it something in the hotel? And so you kind of, sit that on the back burner, let it stew a little bit, 
And, uh, you know, there was a, there was a day when uh, everything just kind of clicked as far as, okay, here's how you would do this. Here's the circumstances that puts someone inside a hotel that they can't get back out of. And that's when it was like, okay, it's time to sit down and write this. And I th that's probably the best explanation of my process is I have all these story ideas and I wait until it's time when everything is in place and then I sit down and write it. And for me, I get charged up when it's, when that happens because now I'm, I'm going to delve into this new world that I kind of know, but there's all these other little things I'm going to find out on the way as I'm writing it. Mm. Didn't he write that Hotel California uh, about a cult? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it was. And then for the, and for the young listeners, that was a song back in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. In the before time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That was last century. Yeah. <laughs> favorite authors or favorite, uh, sci-fi, um, fantasy sort of people that do, you know, TV programs or movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, as far as TV programs, um, I got started on Star Trek. And I'm old enough that I actually watched them, some of them when they were originally broadcast. <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm feeling very old right now. Um, but no, I mean, from, from Star Trek, it, it kind of grew from that. I mean, I discovered I discovered H.G. Wells fairly early in life. And and Edgar Allan Poe shortly after, which explains some of the stories I write because it's a you get those two mixed together and you, God only knows what you're going to come up with. Um, so for the classics, yeah, Wells and, and Poe. Um, for more recent, um, I, I really look at Jack McDivitt. I love the way he puts the story together. In fact, I kind of credit him when I was getting ready to retire from newspapers. For, for giving me kind of the the inspiration that I could, at, at my age, walk away from, from one career and get back into fiction writing and try to make a go of it as a, a novelist. Because he and I, he's older than I am, obviously, but he was the same age when he retired and started writing his books that I was at the time I retired. And so I kind of I said, you know, obviously it can be done. And obviously, it takes a lot of work. But here's somebody who did it. Now, let's see if I can go out and do it. And so, so I will always be forever grateful for that day that I picked up. The first book is I picked up was Time Travelers Never Die. And I read it. And I figured, i gotta, I got to find out more about this guy. So he's, he's a favorite. Um, there's an author who passed away, unfortunately, about three years ago named Gibson Michaels, who, uh, who writes military sci-fi. Um, he's a he's a favorite as well, and unfortunately, he only wrote three books. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's quite a quite an area. What what do you think? Is there something you'd like to do um, in the future that you haven't done yet? A type of writing or style uh, of writing? Yeah, that's the problem. I've I've written in so many different areas. I mean. Um, yeah, let's see, urban fantasy, uh, straight horror. I did I did a zombie story for an anthology. It was a lot of fun to do. Um, sci-fi. I've got I've written a western with my co-host on the writer's block. Uh, all the sci-fi stuff, the the mystery thrillers. 
I don't know that there's an area yet I haven't I have jumped into that I want to. I mean, there's a couple like romance. You're never going to see me write a romance. I, that's just not my that's not my cup of tea. Um, I well, you know I honestly don't know. I I've got, and I've got, I'm looking at my board right now. Um, I you know if anything I might go into some historical fiction. I've got a couple of ideas that are are based in Greek mythology and uh, the Camelot mythology that I I've been playing with. So I, I think if I if I dabble into anything new, it'll be something along that line. Yeah, quite quite the. Uh, so do you, now let's talk about. Do you have a website and a place that people can come find you at or mm-hmm. send you bad letters? And... <laughs> <laughs> it's, you can. You, if you if you want to torture yourself, you could type in my name, richardpaulinelli.com, or you could take the shortcut that I built in, which is uh, scifiscribe.com, and it's S-C-I-F-I and then scribe.com, and that will take you to the website. And everything you need to know about me and how to get my books and the whole the whole nine yards will be on that website. Yeah, it's just, we'll have that on our website as well, and people can uh, find your books and find you with one click when they're listening, and, and uh, so it's uh, so it's easy to do. Um, so what's next for, for Richard? Well, um, Galen's Way was actually the first book in the StarQuest saga, and I, I say saga because it's going to be multiple authors writing under the StarQuest umbrella. Uh, John C. Wright created this universe. He's got four books that he's trying to get out by the end of this year or early next year. Uh, I have, because he invited me to join in on this, I now have um, seven more books laid out uh, in in StarQuest. There are two other authors I know of who are writing in StarQuest. So we are we are hoping within a few years that people can can look into this and they will have at least a dozen, if not more, StarQuest stories. So that's kind of becoming the focus uh, for me. I've got a couple of standalones. I'm doing a, a sequel to Escaping Infinity. I'm doing the fourth Del Rio book. And I've got one other book that I'm going to try to get out before this year ends. But then after that, it's all StarQuest. So I'm, I'm basically going to stay in sci-fi for a while. How is it writing with other writers, like in that sort of, the way you're doing it well it's 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 fun because by john set it up where he had a bible he wrote first and it was like i think it's 100 pages and you have to study this thing to know what he has in mind because it it not only encompasses the human race being transplanted from milky way galaxy to andromeda it lays out what he calls ages there's 12 ages of recorded history for for mankind in andromeda and he, he breaks down each age, what happens in each age, where the human race is in each age. Um, they don't encounter any other species in Andromeda until I think the fifth or sixth age. And I'm writing in fourth. So I picked that one on purpose because I wanted to kind of set some of the, the history as far as what's going to come later in, in my, my books. John's working in, in the twelfth age and then the others, they're, they're like seventh and whatnot. But, it's it's very interesting because we're exchanging notes with okay I'm doing this so when you get to your book at this point uh, you might want to do this or or somebody will say hey look I'm writing this so make sure you don't do this in yours 
Uh, we, we have one where uh, the writer in Seventh Age wants to hide something on Earth. And so I'm, I've set it up in Fourth Age that when the human race was transplanted, the Earth, the Sun, and the Moon were transplanted somewhere else. So that he would have the, the he would be set up for the lost Earth that's hiding something that people are seeking. And so it's, it's nice to work those little details out because when all the books are out, they're all going to interconnect, even though we are writing, you know, millions of years apart and, and completely different situations. So it's, it's a challenge, but it's an exciting challenge. And I love being challenged when I'm writing. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating because even when you write your own series or your own, you know, group of books, you, you kind of have to know what happened in order to kind of keep moving forward, right? It has, mm -hmm. You can't be surprised. So that, that would be pretty, um, that would be really time-consuming, I would think. Yeah, well, it's, it's nice that we're, commu we, we're communicating as much as we are to make sure, uh, and we do have a central editor who is doing a, a great job of keeping us all on track and, and pointing out, okay, you can't do that because this happens. So, you know, and then she'll come up with suggestions on how to rewrite so that you can still do what you want, and, but it'll still connect to the later story. And we, we had that come up um, basically when I was talking about uh, the pre-migration times. I had mentioned something. She goes, well, that's not going to be accurate when we get to 12th age. So it's just a quick rewrite. So it's nice having that one person in the middle who's going to be able to be the kind of the gatekeeper, for lack of a better word, to make sure that we're, we're the continuity is there. Hmm. Yeah, that's, it's, it sounds pretty interesting. Have you ever written with just another person, uh, like do a, a co-write of a book? Yes, yeah. Uh, it's called The Last Lonely Trail, and it was co-written with Jim Christina. It's a Western. Uh, he's a Western writer, and I always wanted to do a Western, and I had this, uh, had this thought. And so we were we were chatting uh, one one day as we were heading in for the show, and uh, that discussion just kind of blossomed into us uh, deciding we were going to write this book. And um, we, it's fun. It's funny that nobody can tell which chapters I wrote, which chapters Jim wrote, and that's the way we were hoping to have it come out. That you couldn't tell you know, who was writing where that we, we meshed the style together. And it, it worked pretty easily. I thought it would be a little harder to do. But it was it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine you have to have some sort of connection with the person too, right? Yeah, it helps to get along, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, get along or either hate each other, right? You know, but yeah. you've got to be that, that, that passion either way, right? That kind of hate or um, pretty interesting. So what's your advice for a new writer? Just, you know, keep writing, you know, as much as you can, as often as you can. Don't let the, the negative feedback that you're going to get, and you're going to get it. Uh, you're going to get people who are mean just to be mean. Uh, you're going to have people who are somewhat jealous because they can't uh, create something. They can't write like you can, so they're going to take shots. Uh, it's just that's human nature. Don't let them get you down. And don't don't quit. If if this is what you want to do, do it, um, and just keep working at it and keep improving. Um, take the criticism that you get that is constructive, 
and and try to use it. Um, the other advice I, I tell them all the time is make sure you get a good editor. Do not try to write your own stuff and edit your own stuff because it's not going to work. You're, you, you already know how the story goes. Your brain's going to fill in the gaps that are there in your manuscript. An editor will come along and say, hey, look, there's a gap here. We need to do this to fix it. So, and, and be open to that. That was one thing I learned in the newspaper days. The editor is not your enemy. The editor is your friend. And if you work together with your editor, you're going to come out with a much better manuscript at the end of the process. Yeah, they're just trying to make it a better book. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not cutting you down. They're trying to make it better. Um, so, so what do you think of the new publishing world? How do you like it with Amazon and the way things are now? A lot of people self-publishing and, and all that. What do you think of this whole new Thing yeah, when, when I started, I was traditionally published. Um, I, the first two novels I did were traditionally published. And after two years, I decided I didn't want to do it, do that anymore, uh, mainly because we have these, these tools now. Amazon, uh, there's uh, direct-to-digital that you can upload your manuscript, and they will format it and get it ready to upload to all these uh, sales channels, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble's one, there's Kobo, there's a bunch. There's like five or six. There's a there's a printing company called Lulu that offered hardcovers. You could upload your book and have it printed as a hardcover book. Amazon finally got wise and went, hey, maybe we should do that too. But, you know, it's you've got all these options now. And, yeah, it's a little bit more work. But at the same time, you're not losing 90% of what you would get to your publisher and your agent. And it's not that indie publishing is for everybody. I don't recommend it for everybody. But if you don't mind getting your hands dirty and getting in there and doing the work, it's a lot more rewarding. Yeah, I think it's good. It's also good to get uh, feedback from publishers. I think it's good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went through, I've been through a couple of publishers and I've done self and I think it's a, it's a good thing to go through before you do your own. I think we're inundated with a lot of, a lot of people just publishing before it should be done, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of a problem. There's, there's thousands of books out there that, you know, they'll, they won't sell 10 books or 20 books and, and they're not done real well. So it's a, yeah. it's kind of an issue. Well, that's, that's where marketing comes in, and I think that's the biggest thing that authors who are just starting out underestimate. You know, you've got to get out there, and you've got to get your book noticed, and that's where a lot of the work comes in. You've got to, you know, there's, there's so many different things you have to do to get the book noticed. And even if you went traditionally published, as an author, you're still expected to do a lot of the marketing yourself. Um, I, uh, author I know, uh, with a, a publisher, I'm not going to name names on either side, uh, showed up to a, a event and he had all this stuff that he set up for his book. And I walked over and I said, wow, they really went all out for you with all this stuff. And he goes, no, that came out of my pocket. All these banners, all these cards, all these things that he was laying out on his table, he paid for himself because the publishers, they're going to throw most of their marketing to the, the big names, and there'll be a little bit of effort they'll do for you, but you're going to be expected to go out to the events and, you know, hit the social media and do all do what everything that indie publishers do anyway. 
but like I said, you got to, you know, you only going to get a very small piece of that royalty pie after your publisher and your agent get done. So if you're going to do all that work and you don't mind doing the, the little extra work you're going to have to do, you know, you go indie and you get, you, you'll get probably just as many sales, but you'll get more of the money at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. Wow. So it's been a great conversation. We, uh, what did we we learned a lot today? We learned that you got to get out there and whore yourself as much as possible to get your book sold. <laughs> and, and that simply that is true. Yes, there you go. And Richard Richard hears voices, and that's where it all comes from. So hmm. get yourself a voice and whore yourself, and you'll be successful. There you go. Well, our guest has been Richard Polinelli. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a blast. Thanks, Richard. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me. I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.